This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The special election is here, and that is the first story we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Courtney Astolfi. The arguments are over. It's election day, the special election day, one issue on the ballot, the now infamous issue one. We've done our part to make sure everyone knows about it, and now it is on the voters to show up. Lisa, how did the campaigns for and against this thing spend their final day trying to win over voters? Well, people on both sides of state issue one, the yes and no camps say that success hinges on voter turnout. So they spent these final days mobilizing voters with canvassing events and, and a surge of TV ads. Weekend early voting, there was pretty much heavy turnout through the weekend. Here in Cuyahoga County, 83,920 voters had votes have been cast so far. They're expecting 9,000 more mail-in votes that are still coming. And Anthony Perlotti, the elections board, head is predicting a 30% turnout uh, today, or I guess overall. So in Ohio, as of today, 578,490 early votes have been cast. That's really close to the total for the last August election last year of 631,000. So like I said, groups have been out there canvassing all weekend. The GOP, they held weekend canvassing events statewide, and they've spent about $9.7 million on TV ads, especially in this final week. Senate candidate Bernie Moreno says... He believes that the confusion about protecting our Constitution is waning. He was at a Marysville rally Sunday that included Jim Jordan and Lieutenant Governor John Husted. There was a big rally in Cincinnati that was co-hosted by former U.S. Army Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and actor Jim Caviezel, who apparently, you know, ascribes to QAnon theories. Um, and then the no people, we spent, we they have spent more money, $12.5 million on TV ads. They're getting big support from labor leaders and unions. Um, the Ohio Education Association President Scott DeMauro says, we're unified. This is a big moment for labor in Ohio. There was a big canvassing event in Columbus at the Union Hall uh, Saturday featuring our old friend, Youngstown Congressman or former Youngstown Congressman, Jim Tim, Ryan, Tim. Tim Ryan, Tim Ryan. He says we're getting a good response on the ground. He thinks there's enough right-leaning opposition to defeat issue one. When you go back to the beginning, when this was originally put on the special election ballot, which again was total hypocrisy because this is the legislature that had prohibited August ballots because no one shows up. The predictions of turnout were pretty low. And we were dedicated to stopping that. Others have been dedicated to stopping that. So you got to have a little joy today that we're talking about the numbers you're reciting because it's way more than was predicted. The people stood up and said, no, we're mm -hmm. going to we're not going to let you have a tiny, tiny portion of Ohioans decide this pivotal moment. And so people have been voting, which is a win, at, at least no matter which way it goes. A lot of people are making their opinions on it known, which is not what these guys wanted. 
you know, look, I said it before the podcast, Matt Huffman and Frank LaRose are looking people in the face, smiling, telling them this is good for them when it is in no way good for them. It is destroying the value of their vote, taking away just about any ability to change their constitution and building a tyranny in Columbus with the gerrymandered legislature. And they, they've, they've gotten this message out all over the state and some people are buying it because they don't realize what's in their self-interest. You gotta hope it goes down today. If you haven't voted, please go vote. This is your chance to be heard. Cuyahoga County could determine this thing. The numbers are striking with how many people have shown up. Uh, you voted this morning, right? What did you see? I did. I, I live in Lyndhurst. I voted about 7.30, and it was not crowded. I was kind of expecting a line, but I will characterize it as a steady trickle. I mean, people were constantly going in and out, but there were plenty of open polling places and everything. So uh, I've heard that maybe in other cities it, it might be heavier turnout, but Lyndhurst is only about 14,000 people, so some of them may have voted early already. Uh, as far as outside the polling place, there was only one sign and it was a no sign. <laughs> yeah, I've heard there were lines in some places, but I, it's readers tell me that we haven't been out. I haven't seen any verification of it. I My bet is what you saw is going to be steady all day. There'll be a steady trickle. People do want to vote on this. I, I, at the back of it is abortion, right? There are a lot of people that are looking forward to this amendment on the ballot. They want to enshrine the right to abortion and women's health in the Ohio Constitution, if issue one passes, it's almost impossible that they'll be able to do that. So people who are against abortion are voting yes. People who are for giving women the right to choose are voting no. You're listening to Today in Ohio. People in Ohio might have heard of Senator Tommy Tuberville's holding up of all military promotions for his personal reasons, but people in Ohio might not be aware of the effect it is having in Ohio. Courtney, what is it? Yeah, so Tuberville, the Republican senator from Alabama, has been holding up about 300 military promotions across the U.S., and there are a handful that affect Dayton's right Wright Patterson Air Force Base. They've been stalled for months now. Now, let's set the stage here. Tuberville's kind of protest and holding up some of these raises and, and job transfers for officers is basically forcing them to be moved through the Senate via individual votes rather than kind of the standard practice of moving them through in big batches. And it, it really slows down the process. This all has to do with basically abortion. Tuberville doesn't want the Pentagon basically funding members going to other states to seek reproductive care, and that includes abortions or even things like in vitro fertilization. The Pentagon has enacted this new policy in the wake of Roe v. Wade. They want to ensure that all their members, no matter what state they're located in, have access to the same level of care. And as we know, that's drastically different from state to state. You know, back here in Ohio, the the Wright Patterson Air Force Base didn't weigh in because this is a political issue. They, you know, respectfully declined to comment. But this is hitting Ohio at home. This is one of those issues that makes people have no faith in federal government. That one guy with a personal vendetta can bring things to a halt for months and months makes no sense. This just isn't the way government's supposed to work. He's part of a body. And the body is supposed to decide things, but they've structured it so that one guy can grind things to a halt. How many lives is he affecting? How much danger is he putting the Defense Department into by not being able to make these promotions and make these moves? 
uh, it's just surprising that the rest of the Senate doesn't do something to stop it. Yeah, this is a pickle and, and it's affecting everybody. But, you know, when you look at the Dayton promotions that are on hold here, it feels like some important positions. You know, the, these holdups include two colonels that, that are set to become brigadier generals. It includes a promotion for another man who it should be becoming the commander of the base's Air Force Research Lab. It includes a promotion for a major general to be assigned as the deputy commander of the Air Force Base's Material Command. And then it also affects a lieutenant general who is to be assigned as the commander of the Air Force Life Cycle Management Center down in Dayton. And we have heard from Ohio senators here. So you wondered about Tuberville's colleagues. Sherrod Brown, you know, kind of unsurprisingly objects to this. He accuses Tuberville of trying to score political points here. And on the other side of that coin, we have our new senator, J.D. Vance, who it sounds like is pretty much in support of this. He said the U.S. military should focus on defending America's national security. And that does not include paying for abortion with taxpayer money. But <laughs> yeah, back on the Brown side, <laughs> Sheriff Brown said these le- vacancies leave our military leadership in a, in a bad position and makes our country less safe. Well, how do you, can you argue that you're, the military should be defending the country when you're not allowing them to have the command structure that they need to do that? That's just, that makes no sense. But what do you expect from a guy who was already endorsed Donald Trump for president? You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, it officially happened, Layla. So what does it mean for Ohio that the massive trucking operation, Yellow Corporation, filed for bankruptcy protection on Sunday? It's a little unclear how many employees have lost their their jobs. Yellow employed about 30,000 people nationally and had three terminals in the greater Cleveland-Akron area, a Holland Terminal on Memphis Road in Brooklyn, and YRC Freight Terminals in Richfield and Copley. They abruptly closed all of their terminals across the U.S. in the past couple weeks, including those three in Northeast Ohio. Terminals in Green and Westchester were closed in May, and each of those employed more than 100 people. But a layoff notice sent by the Teamsters to the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services didn't specify how many employees would be losing their jobs here. And Yellow isn't giving us any information. They've been completely silent apart from their bankruptcy filing. AP reports that The company has more than $1.5 billion in outstanding debt, including $729 million that's owed to the federal government from a pandemic era loan. So still a little unclear what the the true impact will be here. You've got to wonder if there's some criminality here. They got a $700 million pandemic loan to get them through the pandemic. And it sounds like that's gone. I mean, that's that's federal money that's being pumped into them. And you just wonder what happened to it all. Was this just spectacular mismanagement? No other trucking company appears to be in this kind of trouble. They're alone. So it's not an industry trend. It's from what I'm reading, there was pretty serious mismanagement, but you got to just wonder where did all that money go? Yeah. And I can't quite understand what what befell this company. Like you said, it's it's not a, an industry trend. And and I didn't think that the pandemic hit trucking in a way that uh, would would, you know, lead to bankruptcy like this. Um, so so I don't know. There's clearly more to, to be mined here on the story. They're also required by state law to tell the state when they lay off people and how many they're laying off. And they've 
so far failed to do that. So we don't know how many people are losing their jobs. Right. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Let's go green for a minute. Pete Krause talked with some people who are trying to remove all plastic from their lives. They've come up with some novel solutions in some situations. But Lisa, my reading of the story says avoiding plastics altogether might be impossible just now. What did Pete report? Yeah, he pretty much reported that. Pete talked to two local recycling experts, uh, Dana Textoris, who's a consulting company CEO, and Michelle Wilhelm, who's a former nurse. Both women are recycling ambassadors for the county solid waste district. And so they discussed, and these are these people are dedicated to, you know, reducing plastic or eliminating plastic from their lives, but they found it was pretty difficult, especially in the areas of food and medical supplies. They say the easiest ones to do are plastic bags and bottles. You can bring your reusable bags for shopping. You can avoid beverages and plastic bottles and cups. They say that they bring a reusable water bottle, which I do to my to restaurants, you know, for instead of getting a to-go cup, I bring my water bottle. And they use soda stream machines to mix carbonated drinks. Toiletries, another one, it's hard to avoid plastic, but you can find products that aren't packaged in tubes or jars or bottles, like toothpaste or toilet paper that comes in, you know, a paper or cardboard packaging instead of plastic. Um, Household products. You can avoid big plastic jugs and bottles such as laundry detergent and dish detergent. You can get compressed soap sheets or you can buy tablets and there is shampoo that comes in bar form. But they said food is really, really hard. Plastic avoiding it is really difficult. You can buy unwrapped produce. You can visit farmer's markets that don't use plastic containers for their produce, and you can buy eggs in cardboard containers. But medical supplies, especially during the pandemic, you know, plastics are a way of life in the medical industry, and they're meant to be pretty much single use and then thrown away. But uh, Wilhelm says that she sends her empty prescription bottles to this group called Matthew 25 Ministries. It's Ohio company, and they send these bottles to third world countries for reuse. Yeah, I hate throwing out prescription bottles every 90 days. It just bums me out to do that. Really? That was the weirdest part of this, because they said they have to soak them in a solution and remove all labeling before they can send them off. And I was thinking, how many prescription bottles are we talking about here? That seems like an awful lot of work for what is fairly small. But every time you throw one away, it rankles you that we're just wasting that plastic. It does. And also my contact lens solution bottles, there are no alternatives for that. You can't go somewhere and like refill them. I hate to throw those out as well. But, um, and, and then you're talking about things like single use masks, single use, you know, supplies in, you know, in the medical industry and actually plastic, you know, and other trash like that has actually increased because of COVID. You, you do Plastic allows for sanitation and sterilization, which is vitally important in the medical industry. And I'm not sure how you get away from that. I I get a a lot of what they're doing is novel and and it's very impressive how they do it. I'm not sure a lot of people are going to want to use bar soap as their shampoo, but but they're trying. Uh, I just it it was striking that you really can't do it. If you want to remove all plastics from your life Mm -hmm. right now in America, it's impossible. Hell, we can't even get rid of plastic shopping bags. <laughs> right, right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's not quite AI, but Northeast Ohio's top shopping center has a robot roving the grounds. What is it there for, Courtney? What can it do? And what's to stop kids from making off with it? There is a security robot patrolling Crocker Park. Its name is Sam. It apparently stands for Secret Agent Man. And is it just me? But does this creep anyone else out a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) It it looks weird. (laughs) So it's now up and running. It's in its early testing stages. Crocker Park says this is an added security measure to supplement its cameras and other security protocols. At some point, this thing will have a voice and can interact with guests. Um, We're not at that point now, apparently, but it's over five feet tall. It weighs 420 pounds, and it's got a lot of cameras kind of facing all directions that are, I guess, constantly scanning faces and the premises constantly. If needed, it's equipped with loud alarms. And when, when we talked to, you know, Crocker Park, We didn't get too many details about how this works. It is fed with AI and and kind of supplements all of its video streaming and recording capabilities with thermal imaging and then uses AI to, they said, quote, detect anomalies and issue alerts. But I was triggered a bunch of more questions in my mind, like, what is it looking for? What does it consider an anomaly? Mm. Well, and you know, people mm-hmm. throw around the term AI pretty liberally. I'm not sure that that's actually what is going on here. It sounds like a big, heavy metal contraption with a bunch of cameras in it. And my bet is those cameras go back to a control room with the rest of their cameras. They, what's odd is they said this isn't for information, but people can walk up and talk to it. Just, It's a strange... The anomaly thing is real creepy. Because what is this, a racial profiling machine? I mean, I, what are we talking about here? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they have had problems with youths out there getting a, a little bit unruly. and But I, I would think if that's the case, they'd be knocking this thing down left and right. I mean, it just seems like it's a target for abuse. And just because it has cameras on it, I don't know if that's going to stop anybody and, who and wants to And what happens when it hits a curb? <laughs> this thing doesn't look like it can navigate over those pavers and the curbs at, at Crocker Park very well. Yeah, I want to see this thing one. in action. I'm going to go follow it around and see. Cover your face yeah, when with, you walk up to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with Courtney. I got more questions than we got answers. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have a new apartment building under construction in downtown Cleveland. That's good news because downtown Cleveland has been bereft of many people. Where is it? How big is it? And who is building it, Layla? This is sort of in a kind of cool location. It's it, it's being brought to us by a New York-based developer who's broken ground on a 184-unit downtown apartment building on Bolivar, right next to Erie Street Cemetery and between Playhouse Square and the Gateway Sports Complex. The plans call for a seven-story, 280,000-square-foot development called 1060, T-E-N-60. It's going to have a fitness center. It's going to have bike storage, security garage parking, sun deck with a resort-style pool, and about 2,600 square feet of ground floor retail. We're hearing the rent here is going to be market rate. 
And, and of course, this will be designed to accommodate young professionals who are working from home. So they will have conference rooms and co-working spaces and things like that. But if you, I mean, real interesting location, you are nestled right where the stadiums are. You'll probably hear uh, Guardians games as they're going. I mean, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's in the heart of downtown. It's, it's, it's. Section of town where lots of people gather close to public square, close to the game. You're right. So uh, there'll be a whole lot of nights where the sidewalks outside are are filled with people and have a very definite vibe. There's not a whole lot of subsidized housing going into downtown these days. It's all market rate housing, which doesn't help with our housing issues. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But good to see some construction going on downtown. It's today in Ohio. This next one warms my heart. Cleveland's Arts Prize is a high honor, and perhaps no one deserves it more than a Cleveland photographer who has been shooting iconic pictures of musicians for decades. Who is she and who are the others just announced as recipients this year, Lisa? Yeah, one of the recipients of the Cleveland Arts Prize for 2023 is Janet McCoska. She's a rock and roll photographer of renown. Her work has been featured in People, Rolling Stone, the New York Times, also in The Plain Dealer. She had a Hall of Fame exhibit set up in the Rock Hall. Um, she is receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award in the Cleveland Arts Prize, which was established in 1960. What they do is they award five $10,000 prizes each year to artists in all career stages and discipline, and then three special prizes for leadership, community service, and advocacy of the arts. So mid-career winners are Dana Jessen. She's a bassoonist and soloist who's played around the world. And Dr. J- Jacinda N. Walker. She's a designer and founder of a nonprofit to close the diversity gap in the design industry. The emerging artist prize winners are Lorraine Author and stand-up comedian Stephanie Janice. She won the prize for literature and Atifa Farajolazeda, who won for visual arts. She combines photography, video, and coding involved art installations. The special prize went to Susan Brom Koletsky. She's um, the museum director of the Temple Tifereth Israel and Richard S. Rogers, the Akron art scene leader and creator who curated, created the curated storefront project. And then Joseph and Nancy Keithley, they gave a 2020 gift of 100 works worth $100 million to the Cleveland Museum of Art, including Picasso's, Matisse's, and and Bonard's. So um, those were the special prize winners. The award ceremony will be October 26th at the Cleveland Museum of Art. The museum did an exhibit of all the Keith or many of the Keithley donations. It was a pretty cool exhibit. Janet McCoskey deserves this. I'm surprised she hasn't received it before. She's been doing it for decades now. She's put out several books that just bring the rock scene to life. It's She's a wonderful photographer with a long, long record. I should point out, I was at the Rock Hall with Mike Norman one day and she was there and she took a picture of me and Mike with little Stephen Van Zandt of the E Street Band. Oh. So I actually have a picture that Janet McCoskey took. Anyway, great to hear. Good, good, good news all around. Uh, the Cleveland Arts Prize is one of those special Cleveland unique institutions. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Courtney, what is it about East Palestine that has politicians falling all over themselves? It's been explained repeatedly why the site of the train wreck does not meet the definition of a disaster declaration, something Governor Mike DeWine said a few times before he finally surrendered to the pressure and applied for it 
Now Sherrod Brown is involved. What's he saying? Yeah, Sherrod Brown on Monday urged Joe Biden and FEMA to approve DeWine's request. Like you said, DeWine put in that request finally, and Sherrod Brown wants to see that moving along. This would declare the East Palestine derailment a federal disaster. As we know, they they blew up the cars that had derailed and vinyl chloride, ethylene glycol, and other chemicals were released. And in a letter, Brown said the community in East Palestine still needs extra help to ensure residents have the support necessary to address ongoing challenges caused by this derailment. After six months, some residents are still living away from home. Others are still very much concerned about the effects on air quality and water quality around them. And many are facing a bunch of health symptoms. They're freaked out. They're concerned. And this is response to to those community concerns. But with a natural disaster, there's no one that's responsible. And so the government comes in and provides the aid. In this case, we have the rail line that's responsible. They have to make good on any damage that was done and make people whole. It's bizarre. If we're going to do this, why aren't we getting a disaster declaration for Cleveland with the wave of murders that are taking place from gun violence? We got people dying left and right in this city. Where's Mike DeWine? Where's Sherrod Brown on that? What, what single idea have they offered up to stem what we've been seeing here while they repeatedly go to the site of a train wreck where nobody died? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but DeWine, when he was seeking the disaster declaration, kind of pointed to, because this is in corporate hands, what if a court case affects their ability? What, what if they pull back on support? What what then if you if you can't make the corporation take care of then all the so needs up. here? I mean, this is the, the natural disasters are where you really need the declaration. A tornado goes through and destroys homes. There's nobody to make you whole if you if insurance companies aren't coming through. This is a strange one. I it's just they, look, they are literally falling all over themselves fighting to be the champion of East Palestine while ignoring some very serious issues elsewhere in the state. Well, I think in a federal declaration, it, that sets an unsettling legal precedent. If you're so you're basically saying to companies that are responsible like Norfolk Southern for disasters like this, it's like, don't worry, we'll take care of it. It almost absolves them of their responsibility to make a FEMA declaration here. Exactly. Exactly. That's why this is wrong and I'm surprised it's Sherrod Brown for doing it. Everybody's pandering. You're listening to Today in Ohio. An unusual murder trial got underway in Cleveland Monday, one in which a car is the murder weapon, but not in the way cars usually are used as weapons. Layla, what is the allegation here? Well, prosecutors say this 19-year-old woman, Mackenzie Sharilla of Strongsville, floored the gas pedal of her Toyota Camry while her boyfriend and his friend were in the car, and she drove it straight into a brick building at 100 miles per hour killing her boyfriend, Dominic Russo, and his friend, Davian Flanagan. This happened back in July of 2022. Prosecutors say that the relationship between Sharilla and Russo had gotten really rocky in the weeks before this crash. And jurors are going to likely hear testimony from Russo's friend and his mother that, that Russo called them both for help after the couple had been arguing in Sharilla's car on July 17th, just a couple weeks before this crash. The friend told police that while he was on the phone with Russo, he heard Sharilla in the background threatening to crash the car with Russo in it. 
So the crash did happen. It happened about 5.30 a.m. in the morning at the Pipeline Development Company headquarters on Alameda Drive in Strongsville. The information from the car's black box computer showed that the gas pedal had been pressed against the floor for nearly five seconds before the car jumped the curb, struck a sign, and crashed into the building. Sharilla's defense attorney, James McDonald, said in his opening statements that prosecutors don't have any evidence that Sharilla meant to kill her passengers, and they don't know really what was going on in the car in the seconds leading up to the crash. He also said that if Sharilla was willing to crash her car and kill Russo, she must also have been suicidal herself, but no one who saw her in the days before is saying that she had suicidal thoughts. So well, it's, it's pretty damning, though, that there had been previous talk about killing somebody right. exactly that way. What a bizarre way, though, to, to commit murder, because you're right. It, the, 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 you're in the car. The likelihood is if everybody else dies, you're probably going to die. It's probably a bit of a miracle that she survived. Right. That's ex- yeah. I mean, strange case. And I, I mean, a tough one to uh, explain to the jury. Corey Schaefer did a nice job laying out the facts of it in the story on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're going to give you a couple of minutes. Go out and vote. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, everybody. Listens. Come back tomorrow. We'll be talking about issue one, whether it passes or fails. We think we're going to have Rick Ruan on. He's our state house bureau chief in Columbus. He'll be here to provide some expertise on issue one. 